Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, Ruben. Hi, Teddy. Happy National Day. Almost National Day. Oh yeah, happy 58th National Day. <laughs> now, I want you to imagine that there's a terrorist attack going on. Okay. And you're the government. Okay. And you hear that there are people being held hostage, so you go down to negotiate. And after days and days of negotiation, they finally agree to let the hostages free in exchange for safe passage. Right, okay. But wait, how can the terrorists be sure that you won't shoot them out of the sky once they've flown off? Hmm, yeah. So they are demanding guarantors. So who would you send? Would you volunteer yourself? Me? No, nobody cares. Yeah, shoot me down. <laughs> <laughs> like, yep, okay, goodbye. Alright, in this party, in this party of guarantors, was the Director of Security and Intelligence in the Ministry of Defense, S.R. Nathan. Oh, I know him. Yeah, and I think if you're a bit of a younger listener, you might not remember, but S.R. Nathan was the president in Singapore while, while I was growing up, while you were growing up, Ruben. He was the longest-serving president in Singapore's history, and I think he was very, also very much like a certified badass. So I think there is a lot of discourse in Singapore right now about the presidency and the presidential race. Yeah, a lot of contenders. <laughs> but at least for my generation, at least for our generation, you can't really talk about presidents without talking about SR Nathan. Hi, I'm Teddy. And I'm Ruben. <laughs> and welcome to A Briefcase. Today, we're covering a case that I'm surprised not more Singaporeans know about. And personally, I only learned about this case like much later. And I'm not even sure I read about it in school, but I only found out about it later as an adult. So I thought it would be a little bit remiss if I didn't cover a piece of Singapore's history. Especially since tomorrow, on 9th August, is going to be Singapore's National Day. Today, we're covering a case known as the Laju Incident, sometimes also known as the Laju Ferry Hijacking. So now this case happened on 31st January 1974. So the Cold War was between 1947 to 1991. So it's, it, this was about like halfway through, midway through. Right. It's a very long war. Yeah. And it was basically a lot of geopolitical tension and a series of like proxy wars between the US and the USSR. As far as I understand, they never like went to war with each other directly, just between other countries and at the heart of it was an ideological conflict between communism which was the eastern bloc and the western bloc which was led by mostly liberal democratic states but also included some authoritarian states mm -hmm. now during the cold war there were a number of terrorist groups and we're going to talk about two of them today 
One of them is called the Japanese Red Army, yep. which refers to a militant communist organization. And their goals were to overthrow the Japanese government and the monarchy. And, you know, like start a world revolution, which is very specific. Mm-hmm. All right. The second group that we're looking at today is the Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine. And it is still an organization that exists today. And its name explains its purpose. And this is in context of the Israeli-Palestine conflict. Did they call themselves the Popular Front? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Unself say unself popular. Yeah, okay. It's considered a Marxist-Leninist revolutionary socialist organization. And it was associated with a number of communist countries. So you can see how the Japanese Red Army and the PFLP could have gotten along like reasonably well. Mm. Now, initially, the attack wasn't planned to be in Singapore. Initially, the two groups, they got together and they planned for an attack in an oil refinery owned by ESO in Norway. But the Norwegian government were like, oh, it sounds like there's going to be an attack. And they were keeping an eye on things because they had a public terror alarm raised in 1973, so just a year before an incident. Mm. And so together, the two groups, they decided to shift the attack to Singapore. But they were still going to attack an oil refinery. So here is a fun fact about Singapore. If you are an international listener, so it's a common misconception that Singapore is just like a single lone island. There is technically the mainland where most Singaporeans live, but there are also other islands owned by Singapore. And the most common ones that people typically know, especially Singaporeans, include Sentosa, Pulau Ubin, um, which still has a village, and Pulau Tekong, where the army boys go to train. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so. One of the key locations in this case is in, is a separate island called Pulau Bukom, B-U-K-O-M. And so it's a tiny island. It's a tiny, tiny island about 1.45 square kilometers south of Singapore. So really small. And on this tiny island was a shell oil refinery. So the numbers vary, but according to most sources, it says two men from the Japanese Red Army and another two from the PFLP. And what they wanted to do that day was to disrupt the oil supply from Singapore to South Vietnam. And if you're like, what South Vietnam? (coughs) (laughs) South Vietnam was a country that existed from 1955 to 1975. Mm. So 20 years, so not even old enough to... Smoke in Singapore, <laughs> I think. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's 21 now. Yeah. yeah, it's 21 now. And so it was part of the Western Bloc. So now, this would have also been in the midst of the Vietnamese War, which happened from 1955 to 1975. Ideologically, it's a bit dodgy, but I think it's cute how communists all call each other comrades. Right. Now, it was 31st January 1974. And somehow, the men managed to get submachine guns and explosives into Singapore. Today, I believe there is only one ferry that leaves from Pasir Panjang Ferry Terminal. But back then, I think you could also just get a boatman to take you places. And so, it seemed that last in the last century, security was also kind of chill. So these terrorists, they kind of show up and they find a boatman and they tell the boatman, hey, I want to go fishing. Mm. And the boatman is like, Okay, because it isn't too unusual of a request. And the boatmen just thought that this was a regular fishing journey until they moved into the Bukom area where Pulau Bukom was. 
And the boatman is like, why are you near this oil refinery to fish, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. Weren't they carrying like a bunch of guns and stuff also? I, I assume it's in their, their cooler, you know? Maybe in okay. like their cool, Coleman cooler. Right. And once they were in the area, the terrorists, they attacked the boatman who was just doing his job as a boatman. Oh dear. And it was a very unfair fight because I assume it's like Foggins 1 or Foggins 2, mm. you know? And then they take over the boat so I genuinely don't know if they have any experience driving a boat. And I suspect it's harder than it seems to drive a boat. Because... Well, yeah. I guess your objective is to crash, right? <laughs> so it just doesn't matter. Drive it poorly. Smash no, it but you want to crash it into the right place. <laughs> but they didn't. They crashed it into the coral reef instead of into the okay. island. So I'm sure they subdue, subdue and hide their original boatmen. Because they managed to like wave down a separate boatman. Right. Yeah, and they tricked this separate boatman into bringing them to Pulau Bukom. Okay. Yeah. So they made it. So I don't know what happened to the boatman after that, but I hope they, they are okay lah. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I assume they're okay because it's not really mentioned. But we do know that the terrorists managed to get onto the island. And then so they tried to hijack a vehicle. They also don't specify what kind of vehicle. I assume it's some sort of van or something. Mm. But they fail. Um, so during this attack, they actually shot their guns at passing vehicles. But they weren't particularly accurate, so nobody was hurt. <laughs> and in fact, like a sentry who was working at the security force, he managed to escape during this time and he raised the alarm. Right. So it looks like they are just like... Pretty bad terrorists. <laughs> They're not <laughs> super good lah. Okay, so they wanted to go deeper into the oil refinery because you want to cause more damage, right? So you need to go to like where all the machinery and refining and whatnot okay. is. Sure, yeah. But in the end, I think they also want to clear about what they needed to do. So they just end up planting explosives at three oil tanks. And they managed to get all the oil tanks to explode. But the firemen came and put out the flames. <laughs> okay, it's so guess how much damage that guess how much damage they did with um blowing up the three oil tanks? Like monetary value or like monetary value, yeah. Um quite a lot as it was always expensive. A few million dollars. No, fifteen thousand. Oh, okay. <laughs> they cost fifteen thousand dollars above damage because they had like twelve explosives, right? Yeah. They only only three out of the twelve explosives set off. I see. Well, I guess with inflation, maybe it's a little bit better. Maybe like fifty k. <laughs> yeah. It's still steep, but like, if I was a terrorist, if I was their boss, I'll be like, um. We sent you there with like how many explosives and how many guns and you did how much worth of damage, bro. Yeah, after action review, man. Yeah. So, okay, it was really lucky that they didn't do particularly well. Um, because at that point of time, Singapore was in this region, the largest refinery. I think it might still be. If they had succeeded in blowing up the oil refinery in Pulau Bukom, there would have been an actual oil shortage that would have hurt the entire region for like a few years. Mm, okay. But they didn't, so... Oh. Um, but I mean, they still have guns. They still have guns at this point of time. Oh, so they're still all there just looking at their failure. <laughs> <with> their guns. <laughs> okay, but like, okay, so... Either they're really bad, but I don't think they actually really wanted to hurt people. Okay, you know what I mean? They just wanted to blow stuff up without hurting people. Yeah. Possibly. We don't know their objectives. I assume that they're not around anymore. 
We didn't catch them. At this point of time, there was also a ferry operating between the island and mainland Singapore, right? Because people have to get to their jobs. And this ferry was called the Laju. And at this point of time, it was docked at the island's ferry terminal. And at about noon, the terrorists, they seized the ferry. And it doesn't seem like there were any passengers on the ferry. When doing research in the case, I was only able to find reference with the crew members of the ferry. And Mm. there were five crew members that they took hostage. And I guess because they didn't know how to sail the ferry themselves, and after the very unfortunate incident with the boat running into the coral reef, one of them pointed a gun and ordered them to start the ferry. And they were like, Hey, you, sail the ferry, please. Okay, so they sail into international waters, right? So they go from Sisters Island to the Eastern Anchorage. And I'm guessing because of the explosions, and because the Laju was so off-course, and of course the sentry who raised the alarm... They started being surrounded by marine police boats. And okay. two of the men, two of the hostages, included Lo Nam Singh and Encik Ahmad bin Awang Chik. So I found an interview with one of the men, and a fun fact is that Lo Nam Singh had three children who are probably still alive and around today. And their father was part of Singapore's history, and he was about 42 during this incident. So there's a good chance that he's still alive now. 1974. Oh yeah, possible. So, we know it's about evening at this point of time. And at about 10.15pm, so the sun would have gone down already, the terrorists, they have a little bit of a conference in the boat. And some of the hostages, they actually thought that they were going to be shot and that was the end of the line for them. Mm. But instead, one of the terrorists goes up to the hostage, she goes up to Lo Nam Singh and tells him that, okay, you can go and the others won't get harmed if the terrorists managed to get safe passage out of Singapore. So it was a show of goodwill. Why are they telling this to the hostage? Because <laughs> What's it, he going to do? <laughs> yeah, but because um, they, they were planning to let him go. Yeah, and so it. he gets off the boat. He swims and swims until he gets to a marine police boat. And from the time the boat was taken at noon to about the time he was released, he was captive for about 10 hours. Okay. And about 15 minutes later, Encik Ahmad bin Awangjik was also let off the ferry. And it said that he was pushed off the ferry. Now, there are two different accounts of how this happened. One was that the terrorists like kind of let them go, push them off the ferry. But if you look at the Wikipedia page for this particular incident, it will say that they jumped off the ferry and escaped. Oh. Yeah. Now, the source for this particular interview was from an account which was reported in a newspaper archive from the National Library, which is one of Singapore's greatest resources. So it sounds a little bit more likely than they jumped off. And the newspaper was a reporting of the interview with the guy. Yeah. Well, that meant... I mean, I would believe that then, right? Because if you were the person who escaped, you would brag about escaping rather than... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So now, during this negotiation... The terrorists actually revealed that the goal of this attack was to disrupt the oil supply from Singapore to South Vietnam to support the revolution in Vietnam. And they were also looking to retaliate against imperialism, which is a little bit random, but okay. Revolutionaries don't need oil. eh? I don't know. (laughs) Okay. Okay. And according to a spokesman from the PFLP on 1st February... This was also a warning to all monopolistic oil companies. So just like, they, they just threw it in there. It's a bit right. disjointed, their cause, you know. 
Yeah, sounds like they didn't have a clear mission statement. <laughs> okay, so now the Singapore government negotiates for about seven days. And the conclusion of this was that they would release the remaining three people in exchange for a group of guarantors. So a group of alternate hostages, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So these would be a group of trained officials and they would follow them from their flight from Singapore to Kuwait to Kuwait so that you know, like Singapore, the Singapore military or any other military wouldn't just randomly bomb them out of the sky or whatever. You said they are trained officials. Like, yeah, like government officials. Oh, I see. Yes. Like important people. Important people. So this group of guarantors included the then Director of Security and Intelligence at the Ministry of Defense, SR Nathan. Mm-hmm. And it also included eight government officials and four commandos from the Singapore Armed Forces. Okay, they're pretty important. Because it's National Day, we got to give them a call out. And they were Yong Suiwa, Si Waito, Andrew Tan, S. Raja Gopal, Saraj Din, Gui Ping Hong, Tio Aba, Tan Lai Kui. So here's a fun fact that I found while researching mm-hmm. into this case. So one of them, Clarence Tan Kim Ping, was the first ever US trained Special Forces officer. Oh. And another fun fact and fun person that you should know <laughs> is T. Tuaba, who was also in this group and from what I could find, a diplomat and the former commissioner of police. So, you know, people to know. Okay. Yeah. Did they volunteer or were they like... I don't know, volunteered? man. <laughs> if you are, if you're in that position, is it volunteering really? <laughs> no, because they could have gone to anybody, right? So maybe they asked who wants to go. <laughs> yeah. There yeah. there were there were actually volunteers though. There were interpreters that want exactly government officials. Right. But these people were fluent in Arabic, which is what they needed. So Arabic. one of them was Haji Abdul Rahman, who was a broadcaster with the Singapore Broadcasting Corporation, which I assume is a precursor to MediaCorp. And the other was Haji Abu Bakar who was actually approached by Mindef. So this was like a volunteer, volunteer. Mm-hmm. And after this, he continued doing work in this area with rehabilitating terrorists. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. So everyone is very cool. And there's actually an article, if you want to find out more, called The Magnificent 13 of the Laju Hijack, if you want more details on each person and their very cool lives. Very cool. So anyway, on 7th of February, because this thing has been going on for like a week. Right. Yeah, no food, right? <laughs> <laughs> How are they eating? They're fishing. Uh? I mean, I assume there's food. You know, like the ferry from Singato- Singapore to Batam and Singapore to Bintan has food. It's like Pringles. Uh, I mean, this And like Bintang beer. <laughs> does anyone know if in 1975 there was Maggie Mee? <laughs> like cup noodles? Maybe. When you are a child, were there cup noodles? Yeah, um, I mean, there was Maggie Mee. I ate it a lot when I was a kid. Same. Like, so I, I assume... 1975, there were cup noodles on the boat. Okay, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Okay, so on 7th February, the whole gang goes to Paya Lebar Airport, which is still a thing now, I think. It's like an airbase. They're on a boat. No, but they go to Paya Lebar Airport. <laughs> <laughs> but they're on a boat. How? <laughs> <laughs> they make a journey to Paya Lebar <laughs> Airport, Ruben. It's they not flew up the boat. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm sure they like make a journey of, of it all. <laughs> right. Okay, so they give up their guns. 
And they release the hostages, which is the three people, the, the three remaining ferry crew people. So at this point, there's also government officials from Japan there. There's 12 Japanese airline crew members. And at 1.25am, so in the middle of the night, so technically the next day on 8th of February, the mm-hmm. plane leaves Singapore. And so the terrorists, it doesn't seem like they were very aggressive during the flight. It's also said that they, they kept to their like designated area at the back of the plane. They were like, they were like nah, this is our area, this is the terrorist area. C- and this 49C. Is is it really? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, during this plane ride, which I guess was a very tense plane ride, they also had like a little bit of a chat and it said that they expressed the sentiment that they wanted to visit Singapore again as tourists eventually. <laughs> <laughs> very optimistic. <laughs> very optimistic. So it's also said that they were kind of apologetic about it all, which is, I guess, very polite of them, which is kind of nice, but like, no. Yeah. Yeah, so the Japanese airline planes arrives in Kuwait, and I googled this, and the flight time between Singapore and Kuwait is like 10 hours-ish. Sounds about right. Yeah, and so after that, on the 9th of February, the Singapore group, they actually fly back from Kuwait. Okay. And that is the end of the Laju incident. So I was a bit curious about what happened to the terrorists after that, like, I mean, like... What do they do in Kuwait? So it turns out they were they were accepted. I don't I don't know what that means, quote unquote accepted, and then later flown to South Yemen. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. So all the while, you know, you're used to seeing Sarah Nathan like as a president and as a diplomat, <coughs> and then like much later as uh, you know, there used to be all these Straits Times features about how much he used to like to walk at East Coast Park or something. Work out, is it? Walk out. Like, walk he used out, to walk yeah. around yeah, yeah. and talk with, like, people. Right. Yeah, so it makes him look like this chill guy, but it's so impressive to find out that at one point he was, like, a terrorist negotiator. Yeah, I think he was... So this was when he was in, in SID, the, which is a military intelligence. So he has quite a extensive intelligence portfolio. Interesting. Do you think any of our current candidates have as prolific of a pedigree as him? In different ways, right? Because he's is kind of a security and military background. But then someone like Darman has different ways, I guess. Yeah. And then also there's that guy who is the head of... Um, Go Harvey. Uh, Harvey Norman, yeah. And the bank guy, finance bro, GSE. Yeah, so a lot of different... So interesting. Oh my god, I'm going to add a poll at the bottom of this. I'm going to add a poll in the Spotify um, comments. And I'll probably also pull this on my Instagram. uh, On who you, my mostly young listeners from, will be voting for. I think you can't ask it. Oh, so I can't ask who you're voting for? Yeah, you're not supposed to tell. Oh, you're not supposed to tell people? Oh, okay. Fun fact. Uh, I think so. You can go and check it. But I'm pretty sure you're not supposed to. <laughs> and you're also not supposed to go and ask people. <laughs> I can ask who is your favourite. Alright, so in the comments... Who's comment, your current favourite candidate? Oh, in the running. In case somebody else joins <coughs> the... In, ga- in case somebody else yeah, joins the race. Favorite. Okay, so I'm going to add a poll at the bottom of who is your favourite. And please go ahead and vote. And we will maybe talk about it after. <laughs> closer to the elections. That'll be fun. Alright. So... Wishing happy almost National Day to all my Singaporean ABCBBs. Uh, we'll be trying to catch the flyby and the fireworks tomorrow. And as always, you can find us on Instagram at a briefcase podcast and online at a briefcasepodcast.com. 
and do join us next week for another briefcase. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.